Thank you so much. Amy didn't know she was going to lead that last song. I threw it at her. Uh, she did a, a wonderful job, and I thank you so much for all those that uh, help out with worship, help out with kids' church, help out the sound, the food pantry. We'll have a lot of volunteers around here. You'll see that next week, especially when we have the kitchen crew going and things. It's, it's just a wonderful opportunity to serve one another and serve this body, and I just appreciate that. Yeah, kids, you can go downstairs if you want. Um, and some parents say, you can go downstairs if you don't want to. Uh, <laughs> uh, gather my thoughts here, and then we'll, we'll get started real quick. Where we're going today is when Christ is centered in our lives, we, we change to reflect the characteristics of Christ this is the change that we want to see, right? We want to see Christ welling up in our lives. And when it, out of him, out of that overflow, we have a wonderful opportunity to serve others. So this morning, I titled it The Crowd. Last week, we talked about Judas. Um, Judas sets a wonderful example of how to be bad, Right? He gets it so far, and then when he gets right to the end, he gives up. Right when he can see God's grace in his life, he takes his life in his own hands, and it's sad. How do we get like that? How, do, how does that happen? Well, we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. Now, I've heard a good case for the crowd not being fickle this morning. That's what I was going to say at the when I was walking back and we were transitioning, but as I look at the crowd in the Bible, as I look through the people of Israel, there's very few times when the crowd is not fickle. There's only one time I can think of when the people come back to uh, the Lord in Nehemiah and, um, and with Zechariah in there, that they come and they lament and they worship correctly and they, they walk back into that. And so there is a time uh, that the crowd can be. And there's, and I'm not saying the whole crowd is, because I think, uh, as this guy pointed out, when Jesus was being led to the slaughter, uh, a lot of his crowd was sleeping. However, um, there's a time to, be, to, to lift up your voice and, and cry out, because he is our strength. And that's what we're going to be learning about this morning. And I really think that Jesus has a, a unique relationship that we don't really talk about when it comes to the church. It's, we like to look at the crowd that gathers around Christ, and we like to think of his fame. We like to think of his glory uh, being about the church and how big it is and how wonderful it is. And there is some truth to that, right? When we are walking with the Lord and we are following him together, there's some truth to having that strength in numbers and, and, and seeing what his church can do. But there's also this truth that comes alongside that Jesus refines that crowd many times when he talks to them. And at, as this friendly, encouraging group that they want the same thing as, as Jesus wants, oftentimes what we think, but a lot of times they have their own agenda, the crowd does as we come together. And this is not, Jesus doesn't really treat the crowd with warm fuzzies all the time. Uh, we see this example in John chapter 6, where he really has a low trust factor with, 
the crowd because they want to make him king and he says, I know what's in a man and, um, and a man's heart and your motives aren't correct. And when he feeds the 5,000 in John chapter 5 and then it carries on into John chapter 6, we see this great miracle and everyone, they go there, they're getting ready to go their separate ways after this great feeding, but they really don't want to. They want to see Jesus, excuse me, rise up. They want to see him just do this wonderful thing. And Jesus starts to disperse the crowd with hard truths. And it's a, it's a tough chapter. John chapter 6 is a tough chapter because he really comes at people. And we have studied that, and it's back on the recordings if you want to check that out. But how would you like to be an evangelist in this meeting with Jesus? I mean, he's the guy that you're talking to, and you're, you're pointing him. This is the guy you need to talk to, you just need to run to. And, and he, in a sense, that's what the apostles' job was. They go out and tell all the people in the town, hey, you need to come out and find Jesus. Here he is. Come to him, listen to him. Your life is going to be changed forever. And let's keep this going. Let's get this, um, all the support that we can get. Um, with a following like this, we can make a real change across all of Israel, and this really makes me think of what Judas was thinking about, right? Look at this change we can see. Wow, this is amazing. And I can only imagine the next part of the story, so this is kind of comes from my imagination, right? And I turned it into an illustration. I wonder if it went something like this. And I, used, I chose Thaddeus because you really don't hear too much about Thaddeus, right? And this might be why, right? This is totally fiction, right? So Thaddeus, hey, Thaddeus, come, can you uh, keep an eye on Jesus while we uh, go pick up all that bread that was left over in the fish? And there went my microphone. Can, we're going to go clean up the extra food. It looks like there's, oh, I don't know, I'm guessing about 12 baskets full. I can't believe it. We started with um, a few loaves, two, two fish and five, five loaves. It's amazing. Anyway, don't let anyone leave. We really want to capitalize on this. I heard Judas wanted to take up an offering. Yeah. I know, he's always concerned about the money and things and things. And, you know, Simon the Zealot saw some good guys that we could probably recruit for um, a security factor. If we get these loud crowds, we're going to need that and stuff. And, yeah, maybe we should throw Peter in that mix, too, because, you know, he probably needs to be trained. Have you ever seen that guy chop melons with a sword? Man, if he were going to chop somebody's head off, he'd just kid him in the ear. <laughs> that's what he does. Um, and anyway, we'll be right back. So don't lose any of them, right? So don't lose any of them. That would be greatly appreciated. So don't lose any of them. We'll, we'll be right back. And then Jesus happens. Have you ever read the end of John chapter 6? Pick it up in 55. Jesus starts talking like this. He says, For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. And everyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood will, remains in me and I in him. And they're like, what in the world? We were just here for the fish and the bread. Now you're talking about we're eating you next? I don't understand this, right? Nicodemus had the same problem in John chapter 3, a few chapters earlier. He, they couldn't take the physical and turn it into the spiritual. And they really struggled with that. But I think it was about right then so when the disciples returned. They go around, they're like, Thaddeus, I thought, I thought you told them to keep around. I, I was, but Jesus started talking, and then there was this, oh. Um, then it comes on in John chapter 6, verse 66. It says, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you going to leave too? 
Simon Peter says, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus says, I've chosen the 12 of you, but one of you is the devil. And they're like, yeah, we know it's Thaddeus. No, that's not who he's talking about. He's speaking of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, the 12, who had later betrayed him, which we learned about last week. But what do we learn about the crowd in John chapter 6? If you look back and you study it, you see that the crowd is fickle and has a, a way to be fickle. So what do we do now? What do we do when we want to be like that crowd? We want to, to bulldoze into our faith, and then we, then we back off, and we, we become this fickle thing as well. We really like what Jesus is doing here, but if he starts working on here, I really don't want him working on that part, right? And that can be tough, where God really wants to press into all our strengths and our weaknesses, right? So lasting change comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. To reject Christ is to reject lasting change. When we choose Christ, when I choose Christ, I have to take off my old self and put him on, right? Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So what is the crowd telling us today? The crowd, the media, everything that shoves it down our throat, they say to glorify yourself. Look at what you do and only put out the best of you. Only show the truth, only show what looks good, right? That's the only thing that goes on Insta. That's the only thing that goes on Facebook, it's the good stuff, and we're going to paint this picture of our goodness because then when we come in with our political opinion or whatever it may be, they will trust you because you had the good little family, right? And that's disgusting, right? That's a sin of pride. That's a sin of idolatry, and that's wrong. And don't think I'm not guilty of it either. I'm, not, I'm just as guilty because that's, that's who I'm going to put out there. And... Those tools can be used for certain things as well. And there's ways to say, hey, there's, there's um, good and bad that happens in my family. There's this and that and things. And we can get it for prayer support and things. So there are some things that can be used as a tool. It's how we choose to use it. It's how it is, right? But you can be the best. You ever heard that song by... The script, it's called Hall, Hall of Fame. It starts off like this. You can be the greatest. You can be the best. You can be the King Kong banging on your chest. And so far, I'm not, not too bad. You can beat the world. You can beat the war. Here's where it really goes down south. You can talk to God, go banging on his door. Now, can we go talking to God, banging on his door? Absolutely. But I, it's starting to get a little arrogant in that song, and it, and it gets... I mean, it's just an arrogant song. If you look at it, it's not necessarily wrong, but it's not really right either, right? It's kind of immature. And it clearly doesn't look like a crucified self. 
doesn't look like I've crucified myself, that I no longer live. It's Christ who lives in me. That doesn't, doesn't preach in that song. And I think that's where our culture goes. It hypes us up. It hypes us who we want to be, and that's just wrong. So wait, why would I want to crucify myself anyway, Pastor? You might find yourself asking that question, right? Because that doesn't sound like pleasantries. Because our Savior set this example when he died on the cross, right? He died to self, even though he didn't need to. He had the most glorious of all glories. He gave that up, became a human. Not only became a human, he became a servant. Not only became a servant, he became a servant of death. Even though he didn't have any sin in his life that could really hold him down the grave. So the reason why he died was for you and I, that we might live. And so he had to die because he was the perfect sacrifice, right? And when he died, he was able to rise again because he was sinless and wonderful. So he rescues us from this present evil age, and he sets the example that we are to follow today. I forgot to mention earlier in the announcements that we had somebody follow that example last week, so I got a white rose up there. Um, so that is a praise, and yes, we want to give that. We want to be encouraging to that. So that is an awesome blessing. That's why we are who we are. White rose, um, new life in Christ, we put up a right, white rose fellowship. We come together as a body of believers to lift each other up so we can grow together. So Paul, he likes to say this many times. Peter says it a few times. Um, but he talks about these things that we need to take off of ourselves and things that we need to put on, right? And so we need to take off our old self and put it on our new self, and it has to come in that order. You can't put on something new and take up and leave something old because then it becomes a mix and it just doesn't look right. And if you have ever seen that guy that likes to put on like 10 sweaters and walk around, and or is it Ralphie from... The Christmas story, he's like, I can't put my arms down because he's got all those layers on, right? So we're going to take some layers off first. But every time we take something off, every time we recognize that old behavior, we want to put something on new to replace that because if we don't replace it, the old behavior is just going to come back and usually it comes back stronger, right? So let's look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 11. It says, so put to death the sin earthly things lurking within you have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of, this, of these sins, the, the anger of God is coming, and that is the wrath of God, okay? So that's the final judgment that is coming. That's what he's warning us of. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world, but now is the time <clears throat> to get rid of anger, rage, malice, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Do not lie to each other, for you have been stripped off of your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on a new, cre- a new nature and be rewarded as you learn how your creator Learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or Gentile, Gentile circumcised or uncircumcised, bar, barbaric or uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. 
when the Spirit of the Lord is working in your life, He reveals what we would like to conceal. He works on the sin in our life, doesn't He? And we were, when we are in God's Word, life change happens. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever taken time to read your Bible and you just look back over the week? How's my week gone? Oh, it's been just as crazy as it has always been, but I've had a peace that's passed an understanding. Why is that? Well, because I've been in God's Word more. Or then when you get out of God's Word and you're like, man, what is going on? I cannot deal with this. And you look back and you say, oh, I haven't been in my, my Bible this week. It makes a big difference. It makes a big difference, a life change. So now that we looked at some of the things that we need to take off, here are some of the things that we need to put on. Colossians 3, 12 through 15. Since God chose you to be holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Those are all attributes of love, by the way. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord your God. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. If you have something out of your if you take something out of your spiritual life, folks, you need to replace it with something that is holy, something that is loving, something that is caring. Otherwise, you'll go right back into the pattern that you were always in, right? So one of the best ways that we can walk forward with Christ is in forgiveness. Forgiveness is a hard, hard thing to do. We need to forgive ourselves. We need to forgive others. Even when we are in the right and they are in the wrong, we still need to forgive because it breaks our heart down to love them in a, in a spiritual act of love, in a way that Christ loved us, sacrificially, right? So what are some of the attributes of love that we want to get in there? We've hit some of them in Colossians, but I turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. This is traditionally called the love chapter. And I think it's based on the church, but it can go to individuals that it defines love really well. It says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no records of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses Hope, it is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Praise God for his love. Amen. When Christ is centered in our lives, we change to reflect the characteristics of Christ. This is the change that we want to see. So thinking back on the crowd, I was like, well, is there another instance that we saw back in the Old Testament? There's several instances. I talked about the ones in Nehemiah and, and Zechariah. But there's some back in, if you look at the crowd in Numbers, if you look at the crowd in Exodus, that's actually the same crowd there, by the way. Um, but they are very, very good at complaining. 
They're very good at having bad attitudes when it comes to the Lord. And I particularly think of when, when God is drawing the crowd close to him and setting them par- apart as holy. It's in Exodus chapter 24. I'm not going to read out of 24, but I will read out of 32. It says, the Lord, instructs, the Lord instructed Moses to go up to the mountain to receive the instructions for the Lord. This is when he's going to get the Ten Commandments, right? And so he's going up there, and God says, not only should you come up there, but I also want Aaron to come up. I want um, Nadab and Abihu to come up, and the 70 elders that I poured out my Holy Spirit onto. So all these guys have been set apart as holy. I want them to come up part way up the mountain so that they're set apart yet. And eventually he's going to call Moses all the way up the mountain, right? And so they sit in the presence of the Lord, and they worship him along with Moses. They see it, they describe God right there. And if you look at the description there, and you look at the description in Revelation, it looks very, very similar, okay? And Moses goes up to the mountain to receive the law and the instructions on worship. This is how we're going to proceed from this point. And so... We're going to get very specific because that's what the people wanted. Uh, The rest of you guys go down the mountain, and we're going to see how it goes. Well, then we get a lot of instructions through there, and then chapter 32 comes along, right? And the crowd, they become impatient. We haven't seen Moses in a long time. He's been up there for a long time, nearly 40 days, right? And he could be dead. Have you seen all that? lightning? I mean, have you seen all that storm? This is craziness. He's probably dead. We need to figure something else out. You know what? We'll just take matters into our own hands. Aaron, if you would just take one of these gold earrings that we just got from the victory that we had, and if you just melt that down, uh, we'll throw it in the fire. And according to Aaron, it said, I just threw in the fire and it just popped out. I don't know how it happened, right? He, he totally claims ignorance, and it may happen that way. I don't know. But... Um, most likely, it was formed and molded, and they make this golden calf, right? And they start to worship it. Well, why did they do this? It's obviously an idol, but they did it because they wanted to see God. They wanted to, they want to experience life. They're like, Moses is seeing God. We want to experience God. And so we know this isn't really God. It's, it's a representation of God, but they really take it the wrong way. And they take it really fast that way. And honestly, it's not God in the first place. They're lying to themselves right at the get-go. And it just goes downhill from there because first they want to see God, and then they put God in a box, literally, and they put him into this golden calf, or they think they did, and something that they understand. And then their theology becomes God's theology, or at least that's what they want. But God... It's like, no, we we ain't doing this. And they want God to work for them. God, we want to go in the promised land now. We want to do this now. We want to have this now. And so they just go right into sin. And they say, hey, we're worshiping God. Look at us. Well, that's not the kind of worship that God wants because it was in their system. It's like all the people around us are doing it like this. We can do it like this too. And they fall in this trap so many times. And God says, you got to get down there um, or we're going to have we're going to have some big time problems. The problem is they wanted the money, the sex, the power. and They wanted it now. 
Exodus chapter 32, verse 5 through 8, it talks about the crowd a little bit. Aaron, he saw how, the crowd, how excited the people were, and so he built an altar in front of the calf. Then announced, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. Look how happy the people are. Look at them all. They're, they were all miserable yesterday, but now they have what they want. Look at it. This must be right. We're justifying our sins, right? Well, I'm walking with God. I'm his priest, and now the people are happy. It must be right. That's not always the case, is it? Because that goes against what the Lord told them. Verse 6, the people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. The Lord told Moses, quick, go down the mountain. Your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly they have turned away from the, the way I've commanded them to live. They melted down the gold and made a calf, and they had they have bowed down and sacrificed to it. They're saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. From this passage, we can see that the crowd is very demanding. What do we see out of Aaron in this case? We see that Aaron is a people pleaser, right? Aaron's like, oh, they're happy. Well, I want, I'm happy, you're happy. Hey, this must be right. And why is this dangerous for someone who is the spiritual leader of the people of Israel? Well, I'll tell you, I'll give you two good reasons. People pleasers, first, they fear the displeasure of man more than the displeasure of the Lord, right? They're worried about what other people think more than what they are concerned about what God says in his word. And the other side of the coin goes with it. Their desire, um, the people pleaser desires the praise of man above the praise of God. So I want, oh, the crowd's happy. Well, yeah, so that's what Aaron is actually sinning in this instance because he is desiring the praise of man or he's glad that he finally has uh, a moment's rest and they're not bickering all the time. So I feel for him a little bit, but they're... I'm still in the wrong. People pleasers, they tend to be survivors. And what I mean by that is if it becomes them or you to, to take the fall, they're going to choose you every time. Be like, well, this was kind of my idea, but, you know, Shane pretty much implemented it, and he's the one that came up with the idea. And, and you know what? I wouldn't have went along with it, but he did this, and... Shame on him. Have you ever had that happen to you? Man, I've heard this song more in my life. Ka-chunk, ka-chunk. That's when the bus rolls back over me, right? He just ran the bus right over me. But that's all right, because I'm choosing to follow the Lord, and I can rejoice in that. I can rejoice in that suffering for a time because I know that he has What's right for me? Many times a people pleaser, they know what's right, but they choose what's wrong to please the crowd, just like Aaron did here. And that's not right. So what can we do about it? What can we do? How can we change this? We can allow God to make a new work in us. 
right? We recognize that's what we're doing. I'm pleasing people to please people. And I can change this. I can ask for forgiveness from the Lord. I can ask for him to give me the courage to stand up to these people. And we can give our soul, our mind, our body, and our spirit to the Lord as a living sacrifice. And we can allow him to mold us and to mold our spirit. And that is something wonderful that we can see because he is an awesome God. So it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn and know that God's will is for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect in his will. So first, we need to ask the Lord to reveal what sin has concealed. Lord, where am I just trying to please people instead of pleasing you? Where am I falling short in my walk with the Lord? And some of you guys I can see out there already know that, right? So I'm going to say kudos to those that already know because that means you're in the struggle. And if you are, I'm going to say it improperly, if you ain't in the struggle, then you ain't walking with the Lord, right? But if you're in the struggle, that means you're walking at least to try to work through it, right? But what we got to recognize is we can't do this under our own power. We can't do this under our own authority. We need to call on the name of the Lord, and he will save us, right, in the moment. And we need to call on our brothers. That's what, that's what the men's group's about, calling on our brothers. I'm struggling. I need some help. I need to walk along somebody, so the Lord will reveal what sin is concealed, and when he does that, we have something to work on. Ask the Lord for his vision for your life. Through his holy word, when we study him and what he has done in Jesus Christ, we find out what we need to do in the next steps. Through his holy word, we crave the knowledge from the Lord, not how to manipulate men. Okay? We crave knowledge from the Lord, not how to manipulate people to get what we want. So we build on our faith. We build up. It is a pyramid. I'm going to read the next few verses out of 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, and you're going to see this stack up, okay? It's going to start with faith. It's going to end in love, okay? It's like a pyramid. The bigger your faith is, is more love that you're capable of having. In the view of all this, what is this? Is God's promises. Make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control with patient endurance and to patient endurance with godliness and to godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone, which is agape love. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop this are short-sighted and blind, forgetting what they have been cleansed from their old sins. Okay, I learned a couple of weeks ago this cycle. What we think affects the way we feel. The way we feel affects the way we live. And the way we live affects the way we think. See how that's a circle? 
The way we think affects the way we feel. The way we feel affects the way we live, and the way we live affects the way we think. So if we're walking toward the Lord, we're doing good. But when we're walking away from Him, that works against us. Do you see that? Well, I'm not really sure about God, so I know I really don't feel like I need to study my Bible. So I'm going to live how I want to live. You see how that cycle would just take us right into the ground? I become my own God, and I walk away from him. But if I'm building on my faith, and I'm going to see what his word has to say, and his word says I need to work on forgiveness, I feel like, who, who do I need to feel like I forgive? I'm going to act that out and ask for forgiveness. That's going to work on my moral character. And when I work on my moral character, now I'm going to have this craving for God's word more, and I'm going to build in my knowledge of what he has for each one of us. And when I understand that knowledge, I'm going to see that I can be self-controlled in my actions and patiently endure through this problem. And as I patiently endure through this problem, I'm going to learn to love my brother like I love myself, and I'm going to be able to love my enemy as I love anyone, which would be agape love, right? Because when Christ is centered in our lives, we change to reflect the characteristics of of Christ. This allows us to be the change that we want to see. I'm going to finish with this point. Matthew chapter 26. When does the crowd confront Jesus? They confront him at night, right? They come to him at night. They come with a mob with clubs and sticks and saying, Jesus even points it out. Where were you in the temples? Where were you when I was teaching down there? You guys didn't come then. You're coming now. And he points out their hypocrisy. And they lead him away. They, they take him out of this garden and they take him, they run him into this false trial really quickly. They beat him along the way. They mock him. They eventually, um, after the next passage of scripture we read, but they take and they put a, a fake robe on him, which is purple, and they throw a, a um, crown of thorns on his head. And now he's beaten It's a mockery of his station. And they send him before Pilate. He's a Roman because the Jewish people at the time, they can't can't crucify him. But he's been prophesied by the high priest that Jesus is going to die. One's going to die for many, which is actually a prophecy that he fulfills, right? But not in the way that they think. And you see this in Matthew chapter 27, verse 11. I'm going to start and read for a while. 26. So now Jesus was standing before Pilate. Remember, bloodied, beat up, mocked already, so it's easy to keep that up. The Roman governor, are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked him. Jesus replied, Jesus replied, you have said it. But the leading priests and the elders made their accusations against him. Jesus remained silent. Don't you hear all these charges they are bringing against you? Pilate demanded, but Jesus made no response to any of the charges, much to the governor's surprise. Now, it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner to the crowd, anyone they wanted. This year, that was a notorious prisoner, a man named Barabbas. As the crowds gathered before Pilate's house, 
that morning, he asked them, which, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? He knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. Just then, as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife came and sent him this message. Leave that innocent man alone. I suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. So Pilate was warned. Meanwhile, the leaders and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, which of these two do you want me to release to you? The crowd shouted back, Barabbas. Pilate responded, then what should I do with Jesus who, who is called the Messiah? They shouted back, crucify him. Why? Pilate demanded. Why? What crime has he committed? The mob roared louder and louder. Crucify him. Crucify him. Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere and that the riot was developing, so he sent for a bowl of water and washed his hands uh, before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. And all the people yelled back, We will take responsibility for his death, we and our children. And so Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead tip whip and then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. He's already endured mockery, a beating already. He goes before Pilate and he gets beat by a cat of nine tails, which is a whip with nine tails on it with bits of claw and lead on the end of it and shreds his back. He's bloodied. And this brings us to our last point. The crowd swings fast. The crowd swings fast, which is another way of saying the crowd's fickle, but I couldn't say it twice, so I said the crowd swings fast. Today is Palm Sunday. Today is the day when Jesus rode in on a donkey. And that might not seem that um, significant, but this donkey has never been ridden before, and he is Jesus is the first person on him, and so he is. Donkeys are stubborn; they're they're not going to do what you want, and especially not going to be broke the first time you get on them. Jesus brings that peace that passes understanding right to that situation right away. Jesus. They would recognize that as a king coming in as conqueror because this would bring back to King David and all his followers, King Solomon as well. They would all recognize that this is um, there. So this is also the time when the people recognize Jesus as the Messiah. They understood that this is the man that we've been waiting for. This is a week before Jesus died, so it would be today, right? Jesus rides in on a donkey today. Next week, he's crucified. How does that happen? How does that happen? People put their trust in the wrong thing, right? They put their trust in their religious leaders. They put their trust in their system that they had and not in the true of Jesus Christ. They had the right message in the Messiah, they recognized him, but they had the wrong method. They thought that he was going to be an earthly savior, and when he wasn't, 
There was more than just Judas that betrayed Jesus that day and that week. They wanted an earthly king, and they wanted justice from Rome, and they wanted it now. And when they, it became clear that Jesus wasn't going to provide that for them, well, we're going to go back to our old system and go back to our old way of life until it comes. The man standing in front of them, he's bloodied. He's weak. He, he can't even stand up to Rome. They have him bound and chained. That's not my Messiah. My Messiah looks more like Samson. He's going to push those columns down. And he's going to take a jawbone, and he is going to beat them down. And that's just not what this guy's done. He's not the Messiah we wanted. He's not the Savior that can defeat Rome. And when we see the other guy in the story, right? Do you want Jesus or do you want Barabbas? Who are you going to set free? Who set Barabbas free that day? The crowd did. But who can you say really did it? Jesus did, right? Because he took the sacrifice that Barabbas deserved. He took the punishment that was meant for a sinner. Folks, you and I are Barabbas. You and I are the ones he set free. You and I are the ones that were down there yelling, crucify, crucify, crucify. And he still died for you and I. Every time we sin, it's another whack on that nail. Shall I crucify your king? I don't know who you're talking about, but that's not my king. That's not who I envisioned. What's your picture of Jesus? What have you formed in your mind that he is? Some of you got a a good, clear idea who Jesus is. Is it a sacrificing servant? And you're probably right there. Is he a conquering king? He will be. He will be. And he is. He conquers. That's, that's the, the day after, right? We're going to learn about that next week. Three days later. We have an identity crisis, folks. We want to be Jesus, but we're really Barabbas. And when we surrender our Barabbas-like tendencies... We can be more like Jesus. So I'll close with this question. Who crucified Jesus? Who crucified him? Was it the Jews? Was it the leadership of the time? Was it the Romans? Was it Pilate? Sure, they all had their part. But I, might I offer a different suggestion? It's like out of our call to worship this morning. I'd say it was the lukewarm. Those that know enough that they know about Jesus, but they don't know who Jesus really was because if they knew who Jesus really was, they would have never yelled, crucify him. They know enough to say, hey, I've heard about him in church, but I really don't know who he is. Right? And if they came to know who Jesus was, they would never, ever yell, crucify him. They'd say, set him free. That's my Savior. It's going to save me. And what are you doing? This is a mockery. That's not what we do. If we did that, we'd walk away from our sin, right? 
we'd be able to say, not, not I, but Christ in me. I can give up myself. I can die to self. Here I am. I'm standing in fear, and I don't know who this guy is. He's bloody pulp up there. So I'm going to yell with everybody else next to me because they seem to think it's right. And I'm going to yell, crucify him. Because I'm going to please the people instead of pleasing God. I'm going to close with this. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 25. He talks about separating the sheep from the goats. And he says the, the sheep will he'll put on his right and the goats will put on his left. And he'll say to the ones on his right, come in. And they'll ask him why. And he says, because what you've done for the least of me, you've done to me. And they say, the ones on his left, he'll say, depart from me because I never knew you. I never knew you. And they'll say, away with you, you cursed ones on the internal life, prepared for the devil and his demons. He didn't prepare hell for humans, folks. He prepared it for the devil and his demons. We just happen to be separate, choosing to be separate from God. And that's why we go there. For I was hungry and you did not feed me. I was thirsty and you did not give me a drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in to your home. I was naked and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick and in prison and not help you? And he will reply, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of my brothers and sisters... You refusing to help me, and they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go to eternal life. Folks, I put a fork in the road this morning. I'm giving you a choice that is always ever present before each one of us. You can go do your own thing. And by God's grace, he allows that, doesn't he? Or you can choose God's mercy and put that grace into action and can see what God can do when he transforms your life when you surrender to him. Like, that's what we have. I can tell you, broad is the road to destruction because Christ said that. And narrow is the road that leads to eternal life. And few choose it. And I know if few choose it, there's a, plenty in here that are in danger of the Lord um, not choosing them on the final day, all right? Because we didn't choose him now. I implore you today to choose Christ. Don't wait till it's too late. Don't wait till the last minute. Surrender to a holy God. See what he has for you. And if that's something that you want to do today, please come talk to me after the service. Let's pray.